sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. I'm Simon Rose, and now it is time for the Financial Outlook for Personal Investors. I'm joined, as ever, by Russ Mould, Investment Director of AJ Bell. We're going to look at the world of investment from a UK perspective, but I think it's rather important, um, Russ, to have a look at the United States, because we're recording this um, the day after the US announced its highest inflation numbers for 30 years. Do I have that right? Uh, yeah, and we've got, so we've got some UK inflation figures coming up oh. as well So oh. in the next week or so, yeah. so I think that's going to be you know, e- e- equally important in that respect in terms of a so, test of this theory. But this is transient inflation, as we keep being told. Mm, well, yeah. we'll find, I, I, I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball, but I think, you know, there is a strong sense now that it, it's certainly gone on for a bit longer than central banks anticipated, and it now may go on for a bit longer and be a bit higher than anticipated, but they're mm. still generally sticking to the script. Um, it was just intriguing that the, you know, the, the headline American consumer price index inflation was what 6.2% a 30 year high. I think what's more interesting to me is the figure that lies behind that, the producer price index, the PPI, the factory gate inflation figure, that was 8.6%. And that's a equal with it with a with a 12 or 13 year high. But if you really want to be boring, as I do, you can then <laughs> sit and read the rest of the US Bureau for Labor Statistics press release on the producer price index mm. and go back through the intermediate stages of goods which lie behind the finished goods yes, producer yes, price yes. index. Okay, so I'm going to have to check my notes and then stop yes. myself from falling off my chair. <laughs> um, intermediate goods, 25.4% year on year. Raw materials for unprocessed raw materials for the fabrication of intermediate goods up fifty six point six percent. What? Now I, I I can't imagine that none of that is going to filter through at some stage in yes. the next twelve but, months. But hang on, because we've been having the Fed telling us it's all transient, but they will have seen those numbers long before everybody else. One would so assume. So I think what we have to therefore, I mean, a lot of that is down to oil which let's face yeah. it has gone up. And so they will be pinning their hopes to a degree on the oil price behaving itself. And if the oil price is flat next year, unchanged in a year's time, that will provide some of the base effects which central banks are relying on for the headline um, numbers. Um, and what is the intermediate rate there that you gave us? 25.4%. What, what, is, what is measured by intermediate? That's kind of part-made stuff and think, widgets right. that you need to then make a final yes. product, as it were. So it's you know, raw material, widgets, finished product, I guess, for want yes. of a better a better explanation. Uh, right. and, and so in the end, yeah, they will be, you say the energy price is on, oil is unchanged next year. That component will be flat. That might ease it off. But it doesn't mean that the index is going down and that purchasing power has been recaptured. It just means, but nevertheless, mm-hmm. it, it might mean there's a deceleration in the headline numbers. But I think what it tells you is, A, there's an element of them getting the prayer mat out. B, yes. there, there is clearly this element of, we are seeing some supply chain disruption of that. There is no doubt. Mm-hmm. But I, Equally, people, and there's a lot of talk of, you know, semiconductors are in short supply, right? Well, global semiconductor sales are going to reach a record high this year. So it's not as if they're not making any. So you can flip it around and say, actually, the problem isn't too little supply, it's too much demand. And who's responsible for that? Mr. and Mrs. Central Banker. Because you've just spent the last two years stimulating the global economy. And you're still running what Paul Tudor Jones is calling the least appropriate monetary policy he's ever seen in his life. So what that tells you, so I think what it tells you is central banks have got a bit of a Hobson's choice. Their mandates are employment and prices. And right now they are clearly of a mindset 
that the greater danger to the economy is unemployment. And that, that's just where they're coming from. They're frightened as furlough schemes end. They're frightened of a new, of a, of a new COVID variant. They're worried about what, whatever it happens to be, automation. They're worried about employment. And they are therefore prepared to take a fly with inflation as a price worth paying. Mm. That happened in the 1970s, and it went wrong. Although you had two oil price shocks then, which were you know, slightly deus ex machina and nothing that they could have foreseen. In the 1980s, 90s, and 2000s, that flipped round, and inflation was seen as the enemy because of what it had done in the 1970s, and a degree of unemployment was seen as a price mm-hmm. worth paying. Now, I'm not saying which one's right and which one's wrong. I'm just saying that, you know, given the recent experience of one, the other tends to be seen as the bigger evil, right? And over the last yeah. 20 or 30 years, we've had no inflation. We've had lots, quite a bit of unemployment. There's still 1.55 million unemployed in the UK, 2 million on, on um, universal credit. Central banks are taking the view that unemployment is the bigger danger. Now, we could argue that's a political decision as much as an economic one. And you can question central banks' independence till you blew it, you know, mm. increasingly. But that's the view they're taking. What the outcome is, therefore, they are prepared to play fast and loose with inflation. So, therefore, there is the chance that it does eventually pop out of the pot. Yes. Okay, let's just take a quick pause for breath there. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. This is Simon Rose. You're listening to the Financial Outlook for Personal Investors. I'm talking to Russ Mould, Investment Director of AJ Bell. Um, we're talking mostly about the Fed. The, the, the Bank of England's remit is rather more limited than the Fed's. Uh, in prices. theory, that's only prices that matter. But what did they spend um, what do you all think... their time talking about in the last statement? They wanted clarity on the labour market. Yeah. So that tells you where they're looking as well. Yeah. yeah. And what do we think is going to happen with... Um, UK inflation, are you even prepared to say when we get numbers soon? I, 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 I don't know. I mean, what was the last number? 3.1% or something? I mean, right. you, you would assume it's going to creep up again just because we're seeing similar trends to what we're seeing in the rest of the world. Yeah. You know, and then and then you, you know, I always have a look at RPI as well. I know it's now it's not an official number. 4.9% yeah, or yeah. something, I think. And the thing is, is that um, it, it's, the, it's the data set for we actually the long, we have the longest history in the UK because yeah. the CPI is only a 1980s construct. And so you can actually, on the ONS website, or you used to be able to unless it's disappeared, get RPI back to 1947. And so that's yeah. when you can look at what happened to inflation in the 1970s in the UK. And those who are in the inflation camp will listen to the central bank argument of it's going to fade away because base effect did it. But they will point out there were four waves of inflation in the UK in the 1970s. Uh, and yeah, there was a big runner up and a dip and a bigger runner up and a dip and a big. So just when you think you've got it under control, it comes back. Now, again, part of that was exogenous issues related to oil. But who's to say that oil prices don't go through the roof now? Again, demand mm. is going up and supply is is, 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 is not at the moment. Um, and so that's one issue to consider. Um, and again, a lot of it will come down to wages. If wage growth becomes entrenched and people become accustomed to demanding more money, getting it and accustomed to paying higher prices and don't mind paying higher prices, then the cat is in the inflationary cat is indeed out of the mm. bag. And well, that's you mentioned- why I think the wage growth numbers yeah. and the unemployment figures of not just the, the one that's coming out next week, but in the coming weeks and months will be important. At the moment, there is definitely a base effect in there because it's running at 8.3%. The furlough scheme, again, is going to twist that round for a while, but that's a key trend to watch in the coming weeks yeah. and months as well. You've already mentioned oil prices, um, quite a little. We know they're incredibly strong. That's feeding through into inflation numbers. But at the same time, uh, normally you would expect the big oil companies to be investing 
massively when the oil price go, goes up. Well, unless they're expecting well, of course, because they've got but, plenty of cash flow. And yeah, but you've been writing about that, and that's not happening at the moment. It's not. I mean, the global oil rig count is about half where it's been historically when oil is $80 a barrel. And the big seven global majors, BP, Shell, Chevron, Conoco, Phillips, ExxonMobil, Eni, and Total Energies, if you look at their capex to sales ratio, it's basically as low as it's been since 2005. Uh, and the capex to depreciation ratio is, is, is the same. Now, depreciation you can argue depreciation numbers are quite high right now because they're writing off the value of some of their assets, or they certainly were last year. Uh, but nevertheless, capex to sales, capex to depreciation, historic, you know, 20, nearly 20 year lows, when normally you would think they'd be like, actually, prices have gone up, we've got lots of cash flow, let's go for it. So why aren't they spending? Well, one, I think publicly they'd get lots and lots of grief if they did. I mean, we've just all been listening to COP26 for the last mm. two weeks, and clearly the global desire is to move to a net zero world by 2040, 2050. The UK has just turned down Royal Dutch Shell for developing the Jackdaw Field in the North Sea, and it's just not the way the political wind is blowing. And all the executives are aware of their environmental responsibilities. So they know they're going to get a bucket full of stuff poured on their head if they start drilling new holes, and they might not get a return on that huge amount of capital involved as, as a result. So there's that. So there's certainly that to it. And also you've got, you know, banks are saying, well, you know, we're not too keen on funding this stuff. Fund managers are saying we're not too keen on funding this stuff. Insurers are saying we're not too keen on insuring it. So the risk profile is going up at a time when your returns are potentially uncertain. Uh, and also if President Biden mends fences with Iran and mends fences with Venezuela, then potentially quite a lot of supply comes on stream and the situation mm. solves itself anyway. So yes. they don't want to take too much of granted and oil executives will have seen price spikes before and they will be therefore reluctant, particularly because OPEC plus is doing its best to a degree to control supply and, 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 and keep prices elevated. So there are lots of reasons why, but a lot of it is political pushback. And also, if you're not going to get lots of bank debt funding, then the oils are going to want to make sure that they're paying down the debt that they've got, generating cash and paying down the debt that they've got. So yeah. the risk reward profile for new build doesn't make sense. They've got to invest in renewables and alternative energies because that's what they're being told to do when they know that's that seems to be the, the, the right thing to, that seems to be the right thing to do in terms of net zero targets and where we want the world to be in, in yeah. 30 odd years time. So there isn't a huge incentive to invest even when oil prices are high. Now that's fine. But it could mean, therefore, that oil prices do actually stay a bit higher for longer than we expect because we're certainly going to need fossil fuel for some time to come. There's whether a, we like a lot it or of not, hope regrettably, involved. we are. Yes. Yeah, and what does it mean? Yeah. What does it mean for the investment picture for private investors who might not mind? I think, yeah, I think there is an element if you're going to have to be saying I'm, I'm profit first, principle and ethics second. But, you know, energy stocks are down to about three and a half percent of the FTSE World Index right now, which is more or less as low as they've ever been. So you can see why that might be, because people are thinking, well, in 40, 50 years' time, we're not going to be using any of the stuff. So I completely get that. But I think, A, that's still unlikely. I know that you've got to be aware of your source, and OPEC will be, to a degree, talking its own book. But it's still talking about what, a third of global energy, 40% of global energy demand being hydrocarbon-based in the 2040s. So there is, you know, there is going to be a long tail of this stuff that's still being used. So I, I can't help unfortunately but think that for those who are genuinely prepared to hold their nose and be or to mix my metaphors be hard-nosed about it oil might just have the capacity to surprise on the upside because everybody's kind of written it off now the, the problem that you might have is a is a dearth of buyers coming in behind you because we've seen a dutch pension fund in the last month say oh it's just going to flog all of it, sell all of its fossil mm -hmm. fuel holdings that's it and we've seen other fund managers do that equally 
I have started to read things from some of the managers saying, you know what, just getting rid of this stuff, it's not quite working out as we thought because we've had no control over how the decline is managed. And when Anglo-Americans spun off that coal business, whose name I can't pronounce, Tundula, Thundula, Thundula. Yeah, yeah, yes, I know which anyway, one you mean. Yeah, forgive yeah. me, my Swahili or my, my Zulu is yeah. just not very, my, it's just not good. And um, the lady in charge of that, I think it is a lady, you say, well, actually, I'm in charge and I'm not going to close it down. I want to grow my capacity because there's loads of demand out there. Mm. So yeah. whereas if you were a fund manager leaning on Anglo-Americans management, you could say, look, let's just behave ourselves here. Whereas now the fund managers have got no control over that. business, And it's through theory, you could argue with oil, I think there's a sense now they're better off holding and engaging yes. rather than just dumping and washing their just, hands. Just very briefly, is there a sort of parallel with tobacco? I've actually had one hedge fund manager describe to me oil as the new tobacco. Yes. Because that remained an 19th, investment long after people phenomenal, were... Yeah. Utterly phenomenal. Even though there was regulatory pushback, medical pushback, legal pushback, there were still very profitable companies generating lots of cash and paying lots of fat dividends. It's a, li it's a little bit different for oil in that a lot of their cash flow is going to clearly have to be seen to be going into alternative projects, whereas tobacco, it didn't because there was no next generation yes. product there, which is the case now. But um, and that is holding tobacco stack spot potentially. But uh, again, it's, if, if you are prepared to hold, you know, it is very much the, you know, where, what is completely unloved and is being sold, you can argue in a relatively in print sensitive fashion, then it, it's one of the energy stocks right now. Their use is no lower than it was the global economy 10 or 20 years ago. And it might not be in the next five or 10. And yet their valuations as a percentage of global market cap, all time low. So it's, it's potentially intriguing. Well, uh, fascinating stuff, Russ, as ever. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, you've been listening to the Financial Outlook for Personal Investors. I've been talking to Russ Mould, Investment Director of AJ Bell. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio.